It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining us and welcome to our new format where we spend time chatting with guests to ask for their favorite tip. After 10 years and 473 podcasts of our own, we're reaching out to other experts in the gardening world. My guest today is Billy Goodnick, a landscape architect, educator, and award-winning blogger. He's also the author of Yards, Turn Any Outdoor Space into the Garden of Your Dreams, and is known for his humorous column, Crimes Against Horticulture, When Bad Taste Meets Power Tools, which is, and I'm quoting, a chronicle of the amazingly boneheaded, fugly things people do in the name of gardening, unquote. (laughs) Welcome, Billy. (laughs) Hey, how you doing, Christy? I'm doing well, and just so everybody knows, in case you can't tell, we are speaking over Skype because, Billy, you're in the Santa Barbara area, right? Correct, 100 miles away. Excellent, and uh, the miracle of technology allows us to be in the same room together, basically. We, we can hope. Yeah, <laughs> so tell our Gardenerd listeners a little bit about what you do and your aesthetic, and I know this is a completely different question, but... Uh, given that you were right where the mudslides, kind of in that area where the mudslides were, how are you dealing with the new normal that is climate change in your designs? Oh, okay, we're going there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Well, what I do now is uh, what I call under-the-radar bottom-feeding landscape architecture. Mm Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, for uh, 22 years, I was city landscape architect for Santa Bar- for the city of Santa Barbara. Ah. So I was dealing with design review boards and stakeholder committees and planning commissions and coastal commissions and stuff like that. And I swore on the day that I left that I would not take another project that required me to go through any kind of bureaucracy. <laughs> so it's, it's a very simple practice. I rely on the contractors who install my stuff, my stuff to make sure it doesn't kill anyone. And I just get to be brilliant and uh, sketch on paper and put together plant lists and stuff like that. So fairly simple practice. That's what I'm doing now. Okay. Uh, aside from some teaching, usually just local stuff at the Botanic Garden and, and places like that. And and so if you had to describe your aesthetic or what you try to incorporate into every garden you do, what would what would that be? Well, I I think the aesthetic, well, I don't think the the aesthetic <laughs> the aesthetic's got to be driven by the client, what their expectations are, uh whether they think the style of their house needs to influence the garden, etc. Um so uh, I always think of myself first as a service provider. It's not like there's a Billy Goodnick look. Mhm. We paint it on everything that that uh, comes our way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the uh, in fact, one of the things I, I pride myself in, and when I teach and when I write, uh, it's about the idea of plagiarism. The idea that you can look at a beautiful magazine at the dentist's office and fall absolutely in love with the garden you see, and then you look a little further, you see it's in Rhode Island, and none of those plants are going to grow for you. Right. Uh, I ca- I can still get close to that aesthetic by taking apart the uh, just you know what the what the picture is telling you about color schemes about plant forms foliage color layout how dense the garden is that sort of stuff that's a long-winded way of saying i have a very nice aesthetic but it's quite malleable got it and are you using uh native plants california native plants at all in your designs 
Yeah, we're appropriate. I don't differentiate. In fact, I was just having that conversation with uh, um, with a, a colleague because I'm teaching a class at the Santa Barbara Botanic Garden mm. at the end of April, and it's called uh, Putting Native Plants to Work. And what we're doing is using a really nice brochure that they put out. It's uh, all the great native plants that are good in our garden with the usual encyclopedic, encyclopedic information, how high they grow, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's a great piece of information, but I find uh, people go, ooh, ooh, I love that plant, but they really don't have the rest of the skill set to figure out the best way to use it. So I'm teaching that class. So in terms of using native plants, yes, when they're appropriate. Um, I push harder when the site we're working on is closer to real native habitat. Mm-hmm. Then I think we're really doing a service uh, in terms of, of habitat and, you know, trying to help the the birds and the bees and the insects, that sort of thing. Right. But, but I'll also question a client who says, well, of course, we're only going to use natives. And they're right in the middle of downtown Santa Barbara, surrounded by, um, you know, subdivisions and that sort of thing. And the value that you get from natives, the reasons for planting natives, I think, um, lessen somewhat at that point. Uh, I don't feel as obligated to, to go with a heavy native palate. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense because uh, sometimes the non-natives perform better in that kind of a setting than the natives right. do. Yeah. Well, I, uh, one of my sayings is I'd rather uh, see a beautiful, well-put-together, sustainable garden made out of everyday materials than to have an exotic garden that's on life support all the time. <laughs> well said. So we met somewhere around 10 years ago, but I can't remember exactly where. And well, we met on Twitter. Did we? <laughs> sure, I think we caught Heather's eye. That is so funny. Well, my my first memory of of hanging out with you in person, though, was when we both we were all at the uh, San Francisco Garden Show in 2009 and with Shirley Bob show. So you mentioned Shirley before we started recording. And um, she is fortunately now the resident garden expert on the Hallmark Home and Family Show, which is amazing. Um, But but, you know, we all had napkins tucked into our shirts as we were eating lunch, talking about garden design and whatnot. And uh-huh. but at that show, you gave a lecture on the basics of garden design, which is a huge subject. But you managed to distill it all down into an hour long talk. So I was wondering, what do you focus on when educating people about their yards and what to do with their landscaping? Well, you'll just have to buy my book. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You know, all of those talks and things. Just a little further background. I started teaching adult education. God, my son's 27 now, so probably a few years before that. Mm -hmm. And um, it was was started because of a couple of previous droughts. And I saw people finally throw in the towel. They went to wherever their nursery was. They bought six random plants. Uh, made a circle in the middle of the dead lawn and planted those plants. And, and I felt like, you know, we, I could help people understand what to do. In fact, the first class was called Gone with the Wind, What to Do with Your Drought-Stricken Lawn. Oh, nice. And that's where it started. And it's taken me years to gradually figure out, you know, the essence of what I do and how to explain it to someone else. Uh, if I have a gift... Uh, that's probably it, is being able to demystify what a lot of us in the design world know how to do, but don't necessarily 
know how to communicate that to someone else. Somewhere along the way, uh, I, I figured it out, and and uh, people seem to like the way I teach it. But what I what I can do is teach you a process. But every garden, every property, every sunset zone, whatever, is going to be different. So there's no right way to design. I'm a functionalist first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, back to that idea, I'd rather see a garden filled with common everyday plants that serve someone's outdoor living needs. So you, you start by planning out the big spaces that are used the most, right? Absolutely. My first question to a client is, what do you want to be able to do when you go outside? Got it. That's it. That's where it starts. And uh, your clients are calling because they want to grow amazing, beautiful, luscious heirloom tomatoes and, right. and everything else that they do and have healthy soils. And I know your shtick, lady. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and, and my clients are, well, now my clients are calling because they finally realize their lawns aren't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that they shouldn't have them in the first place, really, because they're, this is a, we're in a drought and we will be probably for, for the rest of our, our lives, I think. I don't, yeah, I, th- yeah. I, think, I agree. I think the new normal um, is um, that you need a special papal dispensation if you want to have a lawn. <laughs> and and I, I can't come back to the word shouldn't, that you shouldn't have a lawn, but if you do have a lawn, uh, in fact, I have a decision tree that I teach in my classes regarding lawns and it's uh, you know these might be reasons that you might ta- need to have some some lawn uh-huh. but you also need to be the most responsible lawn owner so that comes out down to the most efficient technology not over fertilizing mowing at the right height um, expectations are that it doesn't look like the uh, uh, you know a golf putting green that sort of thing right so, so there are exceptions uh, there's certainly no allowance in my book for plastic lawns oh, the stuff. oh I, thank I'll, you for saying that there yeah, <laughs> a whole bunch of reasons that's a whole nother podcast that is we could talk for hours about synthetic lawns and why they're a bad idea but uh, but there certainly are. Uh, native grass blend substitutes for the for the thirsty lawn that uh, are often very lush and beautiful. I've yep. been I've been introducing people to a native sod that is a blend of three native California or well native grasses that that um, uh, are it's a no mow situation. So you can right. let it grow long and lush. You can mow it down right. twice a year if you want to, and it. And after it's established, it can go six weeks without water. So it's really awesome. Uh, There's also a church a few blocks away from here that recently put in, uh, it's a a, um, trademark name now called Corapia. Yes. But it's a a form of Lipia. The the sod is enormously expensive, but they put it down a few months ago, and I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. But they also put it in in another area from plugs, and right now it looks less successful, but it might fill itself back in in the spring. Yeah, um, I, I'm curious to know. I'll, I'll be asking you about how that looks and and when it goes dormant and what it looks like when it does, because it well, does. These all have a dormant stage at some point. We could, we could sell. Uh, we could send my uh, my company jet down. Pick oh, it up, fantastic! Have lunch, and we'll, go, <laughs> we'll look at the uh, at the lawn. Well, on that note, I'm going to start in with crimes against horticulture because you are a funny guy, and I think crimes against horticulture is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. On oh, well, wonderful, yeah. And so, tell us what that is and how it got started. Uh, well, how it got started when I was first teaching adult ed classes, I had my uh, 
uh, Kodak slide carousel, my 35 millimeter slides, and mm. I was just running all over the place for you know a few years trying to gather up enough images and take really bad pictures out of books and stuff like that. Shh, don't tell the copyright people. <laughs> um, and at the same time I was doing it, I would take I would take pictures of the bad stuff too because I've always been a, a believer that you teach. Uh, by learning why something is wrong just as much as, you know, just showing nothing but good examples. Plus, I got a snarky Brooklyn sense of humor that I inherited from my Borscht Belt parents, <laughs> and you can't turn me off anyway. So if I get to pretend that I'm teaching people while also ripping somebody a new one, uh -huh. there's there's no greater treat. Awesome. So, so it started out as first getting the laugh because that – that's what I live for. Right. It spawns the monster. Saying, right. And then saying, but there's something behind this. Why does it look that, this way? And it becomes a, you know, a way of getting people's attention and then hopefully imparting a lesson. That's where the idea of showing goofy stuff and saying snarky things about it started. Where it really evolved, though, is for years I wrote for a local uh, community website called edhat.com. There's a long story on why it's called Ed Hat. And in Santa Barbara every year, there's a wonderful um, uh, nonprofit group called Santa Barbara Beautiful. And aside from raising money to plant trees and helping with parks and stuff, they give out their annual Santa Barbara Beautiful Awards. And it's for everything from architecture, signs, landscapes, etc. cetera. Uh, I've been on their board, very, worth, very worthy group. But when their awards came around in September and I was writing for Ed Hat, I did the Santa Barbara Not-So-Beautiful Awards <laughs> and went around town taking pictures of the stuff you'll see now at my, at my Facebook page, uh, all that sort of stuff, and writing some funny articles about it, again, trying to teach a lesson while also uh, having a little bit of fun with it. And just, just for the sake, because we don't have any visual aids here, can you just describe, um, well, like, for example, I sent you a photo. I've sent you a couple of photos of what I felt like were crimes against horticulture. Can you just describe the type of thing that falls into that category? Well, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I came up with a, a clever way at my about page at uh, uh, Crimes Against Horticulture at Facebook, and I'll read it to you here. Okay. People, people perpetrating pointless pruning on peaceful plants. Yes. And that's it. A, a lot of it is point. Uh, so, so what people will see when they get there. And by now we've got about, I don't know, 7,000 followers. And we get people posting pictures from all around the world. Yes. I've had photos from Lima, Peru and from <gasps> Madagascar and whatever. Cause Fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's been fun for a whole lot of people and people relate to it. Um, what you'll see, I, I've sort of run out of stuff that that isn't bad enough to make it on the page. I have a very low bar <laughs> that you have to clear. I mean, it's really got to be terrible. Otherwise, it's the same thing again. Um, but, well, one of them was contributed by your fabulous husband, Andrew. Yes. And it was dubbed uh, SpongeBob Square Tree. Mm -hmm. It's a ficus retusa nidida or a laurel, um, laurel fig, monster of a tree all over Southern California. And these per people had created an absolutely perfect cube standing 18, 20 feet high and 18 by 18 square 
and it looked like it came out of a jello mold. It was so, it's remarkable and he the story he tells me is that he was he was carpooling with a friend to work and he was in the passenger seat and all of a sudden he was like pull over because yes. <laughs> I had introduced him to crimes against horticulture uh-huh. and he's like oh my god I have to take a picture of this. Yeah, uh, so it, it's that it's plants that are pruned to look like a hockey puck or a mohawk or um, just these grotesque things, plants that are just hacked for no reason. I get a lot of photos posted uh, from the southern regions of the country for what's called crepe murder, mm. which is the, the the total cutting back of crepe myrtle trees, which are just gorgeous. If there was ever a tree you never had to touch and have it be beautiful every season, it's crepe myrtle. But there's this tradition of cutting them back, sort of like pollarding mm-hmm. to these ugly, grotesque, what look like uh, rheumatoid arthritis knuckles. Knuckles, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's out there, and I, and I don't cease to be uh, surprised by what other people post from time to time. Yeah. So, and can you repeat, because you did mention where people can find these musings? Oh, yeah. Well, if you go to Facebook... Uh, if you're a Facebook user, just in your uh, little search window up near the top, just type Crimes Against Horticulture, then there's a colon, when bad taste meets power tools. I don't need to give you the address, <laughs> once you get to Facebook, just put in Crimes Against Horticulture. It's easy to find. And it'll pop up, yeah. Okay. And yeah. and how can they find you as uh, the, the fabulous designer architect okay, that you well, are? You co- you come up State Street, you get two <laughs> IHOP. You take a left. Oh, okay, where do they find me? Um, if you want to see my serious landscape work, uh, good places to see it are either at my website, which is just billygoodnick.com, but I think I have a better gallery uh, of projects at house.com, H-O-U-Z-Z.com. It's a fabulous site. If people haven't been there and you just want to drool over uh, house interiors and kitchen remodels and gardens and all that sort of stuff, there's thousands of portfolios. Yeah, there, there are really Those great ideas there. Informative articles because I used to write for them. So oh, fantastic. And um, so, so house.com, Billy Goodnick, uh, billygoodnick.com. Uh, Facebook, that's where you'll find me. Okay, great. And I should mention on a side note, since we're promoting the heck out of everyone who comes on this show, listeners, you should know that Billy is also a talented drummer in what I'm calling a surf rock band. Would that be what you would call it? Well, our surf guy sort of left. No, we're, oh. we're, retro, we're retro rock. We cover seven decades. Excellent. We start with... Uh, Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis stuff and go through Beatles and Stones and Billy Idol and Joe Cocker and more modern stuff uh, that you still hear on the radio now. It's and, just a whole lot of fun. And you are called? Uh, we're called King B. King K-I-N-G, B. B-E-E, King B. Uh, King B S B, like Santa Barbara, KingBSB.com would get you to the website and there's photos and some some stuff we do but mainly we play clubs tomorrow night uh, i know we're recording this early but on saint patty's eve uh we're playing at an irish pub downtown and uh we have a lot of fun Been cool. together about 17 years i was I gonna get, ask <laughs> i get to bang on the drum all day awesome excellent all right I, so I tell, people, I tell people we're the most fun you can have without disrobing <laughs> And probably some people do disrobe, but... It's happened a time or two. Not you guys, right? No. no, Yeah, just just your fans. Yeah. Nice. All right, well, let's get to... uh, It's tip time. So let's um, let 
Let's get to our tip. Uh, what is your fantastic tip that you would like to share with the Garden Nerd audience, Billy? Well, it should be the most obvious thing in the world, but apparently it isn't, or crimes against horticulture wouldn't exist and people wouldn't have to hire people like me. Um, it's to know the predictable mature size of a plant, predictable mature size of a plant before you fig- before you decide where to put it. Yes. In other words, if a Ceanothus grisius horizontalis would make a very nice three foot high ground cover, it'll only do that if you give it 15 feet to spread out. So when you put it in that 18 inch wide planter next to your garage, because you thought the pretty blue flowers were really shiny, it doesn't belong there. Right. So it, it, it's about, you know, if nothing else, if you want to succeed, it's about understanding the cultural conditions that a plant needs to succeed and giving it the space to do it. Right plant, right place. Right plant, right place. It's, it's tried and true. Um, and you can't always trust, uh, believe it or not, you can't really trust everything that's on that tiny little plastic marker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think people work too much on impulse. A uh, colleague of mine and the co-star of a TV show I had here for a while, Owen Dell. I don't know if you know Owen. I know the name, yeah. I've seen yeah, his um, stuff. He wrote Sustainable Landscaping for Dummies and some really other excellent books and a great lecturer. Uh, he and I had a TV show here in town for about six or seven years, quarterly sustainable landscape show. Anyway, um, uh, now I'm trying to remember what Owen said. Oh, yes. Every, <laughs> every plant has its genetic destiny. Ooh, I like that. Let that sink in. In that seed is the DNA message that tells a redwood tree that it has no business being in a window box spilling out with all the pansies and petunias. Mm -hmm. So if you understand what a plant wants to be when it grows up and where it'll thrive, you know, not just survive. It's okay to have a few plants in your garden that have to be on life support. Right, But if, if every plant in your garden needs this special thing or this voodoo treatment or, you know, whatever to make it succeed, uh, that's fine if you want to commit your life to it. I, I go with uh, bulletproof plants and really try to understand where they want to be. And uh, I'm wrong. You learn how to garden by killing stuff. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That is right. Except uh, it's my client's money. <laughs> so well, yeah. We we try to learn before we we get people to spend money on us. So, exactly. um but for homeowners and for in, even for vegetable gardeners, make sure you give your plants enough room. Don't plant an artichoke in a six-inch pot and put it next to your walkway um, because it's going to grow to be five feet in diameter. <laughs> and it or, really, yeah. or you're going to keep butchering it to keep it out of the way and it's not going to perform and do the thing that you got it for right exactly perfect example around here and i I know you don't have just a california audience but is bougainvillea oh it's a ridiculous plant because bougainvilleas uh left alone will will get big enough to have their own area code Mm -hmm. you know they're most of them are monstrous plants and the ironic thing is that they only uh they mostly flower on their new tip growth so and if you plant it two feet from your doorway and you're constantly cutting it back so it doesn't impale you, mm-hmm. you'll never even get the flowers uh, for you know your primary reason for buying it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, that, thank you for – I'm going to say that again. 
Thank you for sharing that expert tip, Billy, that because that's a really big one that I think everybody needs to finally get because it's a it's hard because you want to buy plants and put them close together so that everything looks nice right away. But you have to have the patience and wait for them to grow into the mature size and then enjoy them without all the worry and care that you'll have to put into them otherwise. Yes, I call that home and garden TV syndrome. They've got got 22 minutes before the last commercial and the garden has to look done at the end of the half hour. Right. So they pack everything together and everyone seems to think that that's what their garden should look like the day the contractor drives away. Right. No, your garden should look like a lot of mulch. Right, exactly. Thank you so much for for, uh, sharing that tip and for being a guest on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. You are so welcome. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find more information about Billy Goodnick on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll share links to his website and his book, as well as a direct link to Crimes Against Horticulture. That's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information at GardenNerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook at GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!